Hello everybody, I'm Nina T and this is Kid Like Faith. On this week's episode, you know we're going to dig into um, your choice of our Kid Like Versus movies. Um, The Kid Like Versus movies we had were Joseph, King of Dreams, and The Prince of Egypt. Egypt. And because most of you overwhelmingly picked uh, The Prince of Egypt, it is going to be the one we dig into this week. If you have not seen Joseph, King of Dreams, please go and check it out because their perception of Joseph's story is really accurate as well as it gives such good context to what his story was actually about um so let's dig in a little bit um we're going to go by the movies version um and the reason that i say this is because it's based off of exodus right the story of moses and so i may point out some things that you know differ from the scripture however um our job is to find the nuggets in the story, okay? In the uh, the fictional version, right? Because it's a kid like favor, and that's what we do. All right. So let's start with our first point. Um, the first point that I found from the movie was that during the deliverer scene um, in the beginning, it's you have literally the people who are enslaved, right? And they're singing and crying out for a deliverer. At the same time, there are soldiers who want the baby babies of the Hebrews to be delivered unto them. And at the other and and also happening at the same time, um, there is a deliverance of Moses baby Moses to the water to go where he's supposed to go. I find it interesting that they put uh, Mary or not Mary. Well, it is her mother, but Moses's mother uh, puts him in the water and sings a song to him as she releases him. And as she releases him to the water, she's praying that everything will be fine. And we see that the remnants of her song actually work because it, it, it turns, you know, from a song to a prayer as she releases him, right? And she releases him unto the water to take him where he's supposed to go. And as the water consistently moves, so does Moses. And and now, granted, while the scripture tells us that he wasn't put in a river, he was put in reeds. So he was actually put in, in the reeds by the water. He wasn't actually put on water. But this depiction in this movie shows us how much, how many things had to happen to keep him safe. I mean, there could have been soldiers walking past and they picked him out of the you know river. That could have, you know, and there were a lot of things like crocodiles. There were a lot of things like, you know, and crocodiles are land animals. So it's very easy, easily, you know, imaginable that uh, he was in harm's way. But because of the assignment and the call and the purpose on his life to be the answer to the cry for deliverance, those things that would have uh, knocked him out or taken him out or, you know, devoured him could not. 
it was almost as if the word of the Lord was leading him to the palace, right? The word of the Lord pushed him along the water so that when the row, um, when the oars from the rowboat or from the ship came down to, you know, hit the basket or even when the fisher's nets, right, came to pick up the basket, it could not keep him because his destiny was go, was to go to uh, Pharaoh's house. And I want us to realize that that is a very intentional depiction that they did that, you know, they, they tried to base it as much as, you know, they could on Exodus, but doing it this way showed just how many, how much stuff that God literally has to keep us from, um, in order for us to become the thing that he had always intended for us to become, right? There are some things that happened. Um, and even looking at my own life, there were some things that happened in my childhood where for a while I had loathed that they happened. But the fact of the matter is God preserved me through every situation and every trial and tribulation and i want us to take into it take that into account that no matter what you have endured you endured it it did not take you out it did not it may have you know caused you pain it may left the may have left a scar but at the end of the day you survived a whole lot just to get to the place of purpose just to get to the place of development of purpose because Pharaoh's house wasn't even the purpose, but you understand what I'm saying. Pharaoh's house in this movie was a place of development. And so he survived the braves of the water. He survived crocodiles and all of the things that would have taken him out just to get to the place of development. So I want us to uh, really, really uh, think about this. I really also think that it was the cry of the Egyptian slaves that wanted deliverance that kept him alive. Most of the time, uh, Lord, this is going to sound crazy, but I have to say it this way. Most of the time, the cry and the need for your existence is what keeps you here. Um, if, if you have no work to do, if there is no assignment left, then, then you are free to pass on into eternity. Right. But Most of the time we're here to complete a mission, right? To, to be the answer to somebody's cry, to be the, the yes, Lord, to somebody's help. Right. And if we never decide, uh, to let God become, think about this. What would have happened if, um, Miriam's and Moses's and Aaron's mother, I can't pronounce her name, so I'm not even going to try. But if she decided that she would just, you know, not put him in the water, that she would just raise him as her own and that she wouldn't uh, deliver him to be hidden. Maybe maybe she was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to keep him as close. He would have gotten as far as death. Basically, he would have got, but because she knew the plan on his life, because she knew he was greater than, um, he wasn't just a regular child, right? He wasn't just some, something that, you know, had come out of her that she, she needed to keep close. She had to be willing to deliver him into his purpose. Even as a baby, she didn't have, well, she didn't have a hand in that moment, right? To say, no, I want to keep him with me. She had to make the decision that, okay, I'm going to have to hide him for purpose sake. And that's point number two. 
most of the things that happen are for purpose sake. It's for God's purpose to be delivered. Now, I want you to understand this. Moses grows up in the scripture, right? Without his natural mother, right? He grows up without his natural mother. Um, and in, and also in the movie, he grows up without his natural mother. He grows up in the ways and the customs of the Egyptians without his people, right? And so he had to, his, his mother had to be willing to release him into that kind of lifestyle, into living away from her, not just away from her, but in the customs of the Egyptians who believed in many other gods, who didn't serve the one true Yahweh, who did not, you know, bow to the God that she, she bowed to. She had to release him to a system that would possibly, uh, taint his perspective of God and had to be willing to believe that if God had his hand on him in the reed and, and delivered him to Pharaoh's daughter, right, in the scripture, and Pharaoh's wife in the movie, if he had delivered him to Pharaoh's house, then there was there would be a way that he would keep him there. And I want us to think about this, like, purpose has to be at the forefront of our mind. Absentee parentism, sometimes, um, if you have, you've, you know, gone and grown up without a father and mother, it hurts and it's sad. Um, but truth be told, there are some things that you maybe couldn't have gotten from them, right? And that God needed you to get from him. There was some, there's a closeness that's developed, right? When you are, when you feel like you're missing something, you know what I mean? When you feel like there's something that I didn't get from, you know, parent A or parent B, then you do what the Bible says, right? You run to God because in that instance, you've been forsaken by mother and father. Not that they've, not that they've abandoned you. They may have done what was best for you, but at the end of the day, it is the Lord's responsibility in that moment to take you up. When you feel that they should have given you something and they couldn't, it's the Lord's responsibility to take you up. And he will. How do I know he is absolute? I am absolute living proof that he will absolutely reel you in and give you the things that you thought you missed. Give you what you thought you should have got from someone else, what you should have got from that parent that was gone, what you should have got from that parent who was working because they had to make ends meet. He will more than I promise you, if you give God a chance, he is willing to fill that space. He is more than willing to fill that space. Woo, I had to take a little detour there, but that was good to me. So um, I have to also announce this because I'm uh, as I'm talking about the movie, I do want to give you an insight into Moses' story because there are some things that I need you to understand are even points too from his perspective, right? From the story in Exodus. Because in the in Exodus, well, in the movie, we see soldiers that are trying to kill babies. But in Exodus, the decree was that as soon as they come out, that the midwife had to kill them. And so they didn't even make it. They weren't supposed to make it beyond the birthing room. But not only did Moses make it beyond the birthing room, he made it to the reeds. And so God not only delivered him from the, uh, he, he had midwives who served the Lord, right? Midwives who had submitted to the Lord and that would not kill him, right? 
not only did he escape that death, but then he escaped the death of the river or the reeds. He, he escaped the death of the Egyptian order and he goes into Pharaoh's house, right? Now, from the perspective of scripture, they don't show this in the movie, but in the perspective of scripture, Moses's mother raises him at least till from the weaning age. The weaning age is up until five years old. So she at least gets some time until five to nurse him, right? To make sure he gets uh, all that she can give him till five. And then he's delivered back into Pharaoh's house. So in the scripture, he actually knows his people because he spent more time with his mother. But think about this from the perspective of Moses in the Prince of Egypt, because in the Prince of Egypt, all he has ever known is the life of an Egyptian. All he knows is his brother Ramses. All he knows is, is, you know, his mother and his father is the Pharaoh and he is the prince. And while he may not be the first in line, he is definitely, uh, you know, a royal and he has to be treated as such. He treats subjects in a certain way, but there's even, even when dealing with Sephora, there was a, a little bit of compassion in his heart, right? Because he was not like everybody else. What I want to point out from this point is that while what he, all he knew was that he was an Egyptian, what should have gave him some indication is the differences in how he felt, right? The difference in how he felt about uh, of Zipporah and how they were treating her. And even when she looked back at him, you notice that Moses looked at her and he feels sorry that he's played. Now, Ramses was just like a spoiled, rotten, out of control. He didn't really care about her feelings because she's a servant. But in the mind of Moses, Moses feels compassion. Why? Because what he doesn't know is that compassion is lingering from those people who he belongs to, who are now servants, who are slaves, who are working their fingers to the bone. Right. And he he can't readily identify what it is. But inside him, there's something different. And I want us to point out that there's, even though, you know, you may try to acquiesce, right? You may try to, uh, you know, adjust. At the end of the day, the truth always comes out. Now, in the, in the um, story, in the story in the movie, we see that he runs into his brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron. And uh, Aaron is kind of like apologetic because, you know, he doesn't want, you know, to make any ruffle feathers. But Miriam is intent on him knowing who he is. She's like, everything you know is a lie. Everything you have, you know, come up into, everything you think about life, all of that is a lie. You are my brother. And she starts to sing the song that his mother sang when she released him to the water. Now, here's... Here's here's the funny part. I find it funny that the song was still a point of reference for him, right? Even though he was a baby when he was released. It goes to show just that little uh, scripture in Proverbs where it says, train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart. If you deposit something in the child, you have to be willing to um, (laughs) recall that, right? And even for her, it was a prayer, right? It was a song that was a prayer to protect him. 
Now, he may not, he may have always heard the melody and not known the song and, you know, and not really not even known that it was a big deal until he heard her sing it and it was familiar. Until he heard a slave, right, sing the song that was playing in his head and he couldn't understand why. Why? What is the connection? And then because there was a connection, it made him research. It made him seek out the hieroglyphics to see what was happening. Now, this listen, I need you to understand what you need to know will always come out. God will always share with you. He will, he will not leave you in the dark of stuff you need to know. If, if you don't need to know, he's not obligated to give it to you. He's not obligated to show you it. Um, but if you need to know, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. And I believe that this picture of hieroglyphics on the wall um, is moving to tell the story of what actually happened, even though no one was there to see him put in the river. No one was there to see uh, who put him in the river, right? No one was there to see that his mother had a sister. So that had to be divinely inspired. It had to be in a divine uh, vision of what happened where nobody could see. And so if if there are some things that you need to know, the Lord is willing to share with you those little tidbits, those little pieces of your past that that may not have always connected or even the pieces of your past that you don't even know happened. I, I believe that out of, you know, and we think that sometimes like family reunions, things slip out and they cause big chaos. No, 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 no. It's pieces that you need. The pieces come out and they may come out in trauma. They may come out in anger, but take the pieces because the pieces come together to show you a picture of who you are, of what was uh, the intention when you were formed and how you got to be where you are. Now, the after all of the hieroglyphics move, right? And, and I don't know what point I'm on. I'm just going to flow from here. After the hieroglyphics move and um, Moses is dealing with the fact that this woman that yelled at him was right. There was a big, huge killing of Hebrew babies. And he couldn't believe that his father, his, his, his Pharaoh father, right, would release this order to kill all of these babies. And what he says to him was there was just too many of them. I want to point this out that I found this both in scripture and the movie that while these people are enslaved, they are continually increasing in number. And so it doesn't stop them from procreating. It doesn't stop them from being multiplied. It As much as they try to kill off these babies, they keep populating over and over. It keeps, they keep resurfacing and they're trying to eliminate them so that they can regain control. But at the end of the day, these people have been, uh, they are really more afraid, right? They're more afraid of what will happen and that's why they don't rebel. That's why they don't say we're not, you know, making no more bricks. They're afraid because they saw so many children die because there were so many kids that died because there were so many uh, lives that were lost. And and, and Moses cannot uh, in the movie, you know, this way, he cannot equate that his father would make such a horrible rule. But it was because his father was threatened because his father felt like just like in the scripture, Pharaoh felt like if we let these babies live one day, they'll overthrow us. 
And so at the end of the day, what you have to realize is that you survived to fight for those babies that didn't. Yeah, man, you survived what you survived so that you could fight for those who did not survive so that you so that you would be um, the standard, the blueprint, the voice, the uh, activist, right? For those things that other people did not make it through. You, you know, the one thing that I wanted to, you know, always say to God was, okay, if you're going to use this part of my story, if you want me to share this part of my story, then you've got to make it a good story. You've got to, you got to show me you in it. You've got to show me your power in it because I'm not going to be able to tell this story as a sad story. I want to see you in it. And he had to actually have me write down the parts of my life to where I saw him at every turn. And so it's like, okay, God, I, you know, my mother lost a baby before she had me. So I was a rainbow baby. I was a promised baby. I was a, a depiction or indicator that you still keep your promises. And so, okay, leukemia, this baby now has leukemia at two. And then I become a testament that you are not only a healer, but you heal completely because I've never had a problem with cancer since leukemia, period. And so all of these things are woven into the story. And while I want to hide some pieces of the story and I don't want to tell certain parts of the story, all throughout the story, God has been maneuvering and he's been putting his hand and he's been saying, okay, I'm, I'm keeping you so that you can be this way. I'm keeping you from that. And I, I saved you from that so that you can be the activist for this. And I pushed you into that. And so you can speak up for that. So listen, this is what happens when he starts to see that these are now his people. He starts to see his people whipped and mercilessly whipped. And now the compassion has grown because these are his people. People. These these are where he this is where he comes from. These are this is his heritage. And now he cares about the fact that there's a man, a slave being whipped and he wants to stop it. And in the movie, it's an accident in the scripture it's actually intentional. This was an intentional move of killing the guard because he didn't want another one of his uh, people to be antagonized the way they had been antagonized. But in the movie, they make it look like an accident, right? And that Ramses says, we can make this go away. Because now I need you to make the option. Now I need you to make uh, the solidification of you're really down with the Egyptians because it looks like you tried to kill one of us. So if I make this go away, I need your loyalty. And because he cannot give him his loyalty, he decides to run. He decides to run from it and not face it. And he runs to Midian. He runs to Midian with Jethro, thinking that he's just running away from his problems. But he runs smack dab into another problem because there are some young ladies who are at a well. And he is trying to, you know, trying to get water from this well. And these men, right, these men have... You know, they're antagonizing the kids, trying to get water. Um, And what ends up happening, (laughs) 
what ends up happening is there's a, a Moses at the bottom of this well because he's let these people's uh, horses go free, right? Because he's he's ruined their lives, so they're going to ruin his. They, they put him in the well, and the kids are trying to get him out the well, and all of a sudden, we see Zipporah come on the scene. And when she comes back on the scene, she, she pulls up trying to help. You know, she hears a man down in the well. She's trying to help him up. She pulls him up and notices and recognizes that this is the one that... Uh, antagonized her in front of all of the Egyptians. So while she, while he did let her go free, she has to make him pay for the fact that he made her look a fool by releasing her into the water. And she releases him into the water as well. It it, it seems <laughs> the daughter, uh, one of the daughters says, that's why daddy says she'll never get married. We see Zipporah as a strong woman because in this in this place, she's not a slave. She's her daddy's daughter, right? In this place, she's not a servant. She's not someone who's been, you know, a slave girl who is, you know, sent to a room to make a royal happy. She's her daddy's daughter. So she has certain rights. And I want us to stop behaving. Woo wee. This is a message for those who uh, don't recognize that you are daddy's daughters, that you are daddy's sons, right? That you belong in this place of authority and that in this position as daddy's daughter and daddy's uh, son, that you can say, you can refuse, right? To be subjected to humiliation. You can refuse to, to have even people in your, in your space that don't acknowledge who you actually are, that you, you have some freedom as daddy's daughter. You don't have to settle to become the slave, to become, um, and this is more indicative of women because sometimes, excuse me, in order to be with a certain person, in order to be uh, in the presence of a certain person, we're willing to to lay down our authority and become what they need us to become. We, we become sex slaves. We become the slave-like girl, the servant-like girl, instead of standing in the authority as daddy's daughter, that I don't have to prove that I'm worth it. Yeah. I just have to live and be right. And what is meant to be with me will be with me. I don't have to diminish myself. I get to stand strong as daddy's daughter and sons as well, because some sons feel like they have to, you know, spend all of their money. They have to even, uh, just Lord, even they have to put on this image so that they can, uh, so that they can appear to be a certain kind of man, right? They can appear to be the man that has it all, the man that everybody wants. And instead of being the strong, uh, man of valor that God has called them to be, they are willing to be the playboys. They're willing to play around and, and, and it's time wasted. We don't have time. We don't have time to be servant girls. We don't have time to be daddy, uh, to be playboys. We have time only to be daddy's daughters and sons because those are the ones that have authority, kingdom authority that can move things not only in heaven and on earth. That, 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 re- because we announce what God is saying in heaven, we see the manifestation in earth. And we don't have time, we have no time to play around with false identity. Okay. So that's what I got from Zipporah. She is daddy's daughter. And because she's daddy's daughter, she doesn't have to be uh, pretend that she's okay with what happened as a slave. Right. So anyway, um, during his time with Jethro, he looks 
at the world in heaven's eyes, which is one of my favorite songs from the whole movie, right? And um, he starts to learn how to, you know, be a shepherd, and he starts to learn how to take care of sheep and how to act in his father in Jethro's house. And you know, he's respectful. Respectful. He's learning how to adjust, and you know, everybody's dancing, and he's just clapping. Right at first, he doesn't want to dance, but then he swayed into dancing, and and it even comes to where he gets married, right? Because he's become a part of the culture, because he's submitted to Jethro as a son. Um, he's willing to give him his daughter in marriage, right? Because they, they forged a certain kind of friendship, right? Because that he was willing to leave Moses, the Moses that the the, the prince of Egypt, that, that facade, he was willing to leave that back in Egypt in order to become the shepherd boy he needed to become to fix his character. While he is, you know, one day doing his shepherd duty, uh, he walks out with his sheep and he runs into the burning bush. Now, the burning bush uh, is interesting because it is the first time I realized that in this movie, Moses doesn't have a stutter. Now, at the bush, the main, in in the actual scripture, the main reason why Moses doesn't want to return is because he's got a stutter. It's because he can't speak well. And in this story, we see that he doesn't want to return because he can't go back to that life. He can't go back to them and say, I'm now serving another God. He doesn't want to go back. Now, in the scripture, he has the help of Aaron. But in this story, Aaron's more like of a pushover. Aaron's Aaron's more like a, a, a antagonist, not pushover, antagonist. So while, you know, Moses is trying to, you know, do the exploits of the Lord and, and cause the, the people of Israel to follow him. Aaron's always like, you don't care about us. Like, you didn't care about us. And I wonder if that was a real life feeling of Miriam and and Aaron like we spent all this time down here suffering and now you come and you have an attitude now you come and you didn't kill one of the guards made it a little bit harder for us right and now you're going to Pharaoh to tell Pharaoh to let your people go when we've been enslaved all this time when we know that there's a prophecy of Joseph and all of those things, and we know we know all of these things are to come, we know that there's supposed to be some deliverer, but it could not be Moses. It couldn't be Moses. Moses is known for being a murderer. But in the story, when he returns, Ramses, because he's willing to reunite with him, he tells him, he quickly does this before he asks him what he come what he's come for. He annihilates or he erases the past. He says all he is acquitted from all crimes, right? And everything that he was associated when he was back here, the murder that he should have been tried for, all of that stuff has been erased. So now he is free. He's a free man and he's free to be what God asked him to be. God has a way of erasing the stains of your past so he can show you the story he always intended for you to, to be. He, he can show you what was the intentional plan. What was it that he said when he formed you? What was it that he thought you would be at the beginning of uh, your life? What did he command you to do? What would he, What was the word? What was heaven's announcement when you made your way in the earth? 
And he waits until the moment that you come up against your past, right? In order to say, that doesn't even disqualify you. Let me just erase it. Let me just equip you, quip you and acquit you from all charges. I want you to, I want you to know that your record is erased. Woo. If you accept him and accept the call and the mission and purpose of, you know, God on your life, there is no past story that is greater than the one he's writing. There is no past story that's that's greater than the announcement when you enter the earth. It, it's it's about God's announcement. It's about his declaring and his decree concerning you. And if he declared that you are a deliverer, no matter what happened in the middle of your life, at the end of the day, you will be what he announced. So Moses goes back. He thinks he, you know, Ramses thinks he's back to reunite with them. He, you know, gives him, gives him a free pass, erases him of all the charges. But then Moses flips the script and he says, I am here on behalf of the Hebrew God. And I'm here to tell you that he wants you to let his people go. He wants you to let them, let them go so that they can serve him. Right. And Ramses is like, now, what are you really here for? Like, what do you mean? Now, he shows him the sign of the snake. But what ends up mm, challenging that is the fact that the Egyptian magicians and uh, workers of darkness, I guess you could say, or their, their religious leaders, they were able to make two snakes, right? While he had a big snake, you know, he had the snake of his staff, but it looked as if they were able to do the same thing that Moses' God could do. Now, if you notice during that scene, uh, you're playing with the big boys now, it's like he's being violated. He's being tested, right? He's being pushed and prodded like yeah, you think you think you all that you think your God is all that, but he cannot do, you know, he, he can't do anything that we can't do. Basically, if if you think that that's something, trust me, I'll show you I can do more. And there are a lot of people who are afraid because while you went to go and, you know, exert your faith or not exert it, but share your faith. And even when you wanted to take a stand for God it looked like those who had other faiths or, you know, they had other um, beliefs and they they had other alternatives. It looked like they could do the same thing as your God did. But if you notice during that sequence, the snake that Moses had ate and devoured the snakes that the magicians made. A slight symbol a slight symbol, a very slight symbol. If you don't notice it or if you miss it, it's because you really weren't paying attention. You weren't watching during the song, right? But if you didn't miss it and you saw those two snakes get eaten by the one, it basically was a show that our God, no matter what the other gods do, our God is the only true and living God. And what he establishes always devours it always takes control it always overpowers that which comes against it and it looked like those two uh snakes were gonna 
bite at uh, Moses and looked like they were going to take out the one snake of his staff, but they couldn't because he was established. This snake was established as a sign in the living God and of the living God. And I want us to think about this. If God will allow, if God will allow alternatives to form, he also has to be willing to be challenged. He has, he has, he's not afraid. Listen, God has never been, never been the God that has not been, you know, he even says, I want you to point, I, I want to point out this one scripture because we, we use it and we talk about it for scripture, but I want to, I want you to see that he, there is one place where he says, prove me. And it's in tithes and offerings. Cause there's a, a multiple way. There are multiple ways you can spend your money. Right. And so he tells them to bring the tithes to the storehouse so there can be meat in this house. Right. And, and, and then he says, and prove me now and see if I won't pour out a window of blessing, open up the windows and pour you out a blessing. You don't have room enough to receive. And so he's like, prove me, test me, test me in this area to show that. So I can show you that your alternative ways of spending your alternative places that you want to place it in won't be as profitable as when you do what I ask you to do as, as doing it my way. It's a small example of God's way being better, of God's way always being better, always being bigger, always having room uh, to ov- for you to overcome, right? And so while Ramses is upset and he can't believe that, you know, Moses didn't come back to reconcile, he now makes a decree that the... <laughs> a, that the uh, slaves of the Egyptians or the Hebrew people will now have to double their work. And that sets off the Hebrews because they're like, listen, you didn't care about us until you found out you were one of us. Isn't that interesting that uh, they would be crying out for deliverer and be upset when the deliverer actually chooses to step into uh, his power as deliverer. Now, here's the other thing. Sometimes when you ask for something, you don't always know what it's going to take for you to get it. So I'm sure that when they asked God to deliver them, he thought or they thought that, you know, he was going to send a deliverer and they would just be fine and they would go on about their business into the promised land. But that's not how this worked. See, sometimes when you ask God for deliverance, it looks like you're going through more trouble. If you ask God for patience, it looks like going through more patience so you can develop and discipline yourself to be patient. If if if, if you ask God for joy, it looks like going through some struggles sometimes so that you can find a way to be content and rest in the strength of the Lord, which is or the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. Okay. It looks like when I ask God to be loved or love, um, it, it looks like I have to be rejected from some places in order for, for the direction to or, or in order for his plan to route me. Right. And in order for me to push, be pushed in the right direction so that I can be with those who actually choose to love me. But it always looks like sometimes when you ask God for something that it gets worse before it gets better. And it's OK, because all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. I have to repeat that scripture over and over because we don't recognize that it says all things. Let the bad things work too. Let them work. 
because it's it's a together thing. It's a it's not just about the eggs and the cake. It's about the eggs and the flour and the water. It's about all of the little things that have to be placed in that by themselves aren't good things. They don't taste good on their own. They're not the greatest. I will never stick my hand in a, a container of flour and just eat it. That's not my thing. I, I I don't plan to have sugar diabetes, so I'm not gonna stick my hand in the sugar and and go ahead and go for what I know. No, it has to work together with the eggs and with the other things that make a cake taste good, right? And we have to be willing again to let everything be and let it come together so that we can see what God had already intended. Well, the next one, we know the next time we see Moses and Ramses is they are on the the uh, boat or Ramses is on the boat and uh, Moses asks again to let the people go and Ramses is like, uh, no. And so he shows another sign by sticking the staff in the water and the water turns to blood. But again, the magicians make it seem like they can do the same thing by grabbing the water from, you know, that from the blood water, right? That's already in the uh, system. He's all, it looks like they're doing the same thing. It looks like the alternatives are working, but they're not the same. And so then the other plagues start to take hold because Ramses, his heart is still hardened. Yeah. And, and so he says, this is the last I see of you. And uh, Moses says, well, no, actually, this is just the beginning. And then we hear the thus saith the Lord's song, which is all of the plagues from two to nine. And we see these plagues come and they come in and they come in one after the other. And you would think that he would just be willing to let this go, to give up. Ramses would just be like, all right, I'm done with this. We don't have to keep doing this. But his hard heart is what has uh, set this up. His hard heart is the reason why um, he's not able to see God's hand at work. See, there are a lot of people who are literally choosing not to see God's hand at work because they only see the inconvenience, right, of their unbelief. They only see what happens when they don't believe. So because they they have a pity party about what happened to their livestock and what happened there in darkness. And they they literally are going through plague after plague and nobody's like, make it stop. I believe now. Go on ahead and go ahead with where you're going. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. Everybody get everybody hardens their heart. Everybody's like, well, nope, I'm not serving them now. Nope. Well, fine. That This can't be a God. This has to be him making up things. This has to be sorcery of some sort. Like they, they just won't believe because they don't want to. And it, it takes, it takes a gigantic, huge loss for Ramses to say, this is not worth it. Let them go. When he releases Moses to... And also the people of Israel after losing the firstborn son. Now, I could go into the Passover because the Passover is dope. You know, where they posted the blood over the door and the death angel passed them by because they saw the blood. And and I can, you know, we can we can do that. We hoop that all day long. But I want to talk about the Egyptians for a moment, because while we are, you know, in rejoicing that the Israelites are being freed, we also have to recognize that. The life of the Egyptians are being affected by one man's refusal. 
one man's refusal cost the whole entire town, city, whatever, the whole entire people to lose their firstborn sons. So I'm grieving on behalf of connection. Not a decision I made. I didn't know anything about the blood. That I didn't know anything about that. This was a plague to all of Egypt that didn't just affect Pharaoh's house. It affected all of the house, all of the houses, all of the sons that were belonged, that belonged. And so now Ramses has, has decided to let them go. And they sing the song that everybody knows when you believe, because we don't understand that there is power in our belief, but there's also power in our unbelief. When we decide and choose to not believe, we don't see what we could. We don't see the manifestations we could see because we don't believe. God literally gives us the fruit of our unbelief, which is blindness. You just don't get to see his hand at work because you choose not to see. Because you chose not to see, you don't see. But on the other hand, when we believe that all I have to do is, is show up and every day say, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. Then I get to see frogs come out of nowhere and lice and, and, and other people affected by their disobedience because I obeyed. Remember, if there was anybody in the Israelite camp that didn't put blood over their door, they would be subjected to the same death penalty. But it had to be collective obedience that kept the Egyptian, um, I'm sorry, that kept the Israelite babies alive, right? Because they had already lost too much. They had already lost sons. So I wonder if because Pharaoh took the Israelite babies at birth, the plague, the last and final plague was I've got to take those firstborns too. I've got to take in response. I've got to take this. This is the only way that, that, that you'll get it. Is when I take the the lineage or the the first seed, the first one that is supposed to get the dowry, they're supposed to be the next in line. I have to take them. I have to I have to remove them so that you'll understand that this is real. I have to make the same decision in reverse for my righteousness sake. And it's hard. It's a hard truth that your stubbornness can lead you to literally. Seeing more loss, stubbornness. If he had believed after the first plague, there would have been no sons lost. But because he did not decide to bow, he had to be made to bow. So here's the other thing. Now, at this point, you know, Moses and his uh, tribe, right? And the Israelites are on their way out. They have made it to the Red Sea. And in front of them is water. And in back of them, they now hear the Egyptians. And it looks like they are in a setup. It looks like they were moved out of deliverance and told they were being delivered only to be stopped. Only to be caught up. Until the miracle happens. It, it, I just want us to, be, I just want us really to believe God. Because when we believe God, we see supernatural things. And it doesn't matter what is in front of you. It doesn't matter what's on the left and the right of you. Those things can be moved by faith. 
Be reminded, those things can be removed by faith. The scripture even tells us uh, that Jesus said, if, you, if either of you believed or if all of you believed, you can literally say to the mountain, be removed and jump into the sea and it would do it because of that's the power of faith. That's the power of belief. And the problem is most of us want to see so much, but we don't have enough faith to back up what we want to see. We, we, we really don't apply faith to our sight. We only say the sight or if, if we can see it is not faith. And okay, granted, understood. You don't have to naturally see it at first, but at some point you're going to have to see it. You're going to have to see it in your faith's eye. You're going to have to see it in the heart before it's manifested in front of your face. And so there are a lot of people who are waiting on God to do something. And he's like, I'm waiting on you to believe I can. Beyond what you're asking me, do you even, why would you waste your breath and ask me for something you don't believe I can do? And if you ask me for deliverance, don't think that I'm going to get you delivered to a certain point and then I'm going to set you up to die. No, no, that's not in my character. If I said I'm going to deliver you unto the place where you can worship me, then no river is going to stop that. No sea is going to stop that. No, no Egyptians are going to stop that. And uh, they end up seeing the miraculous where they get to walk through uh, in the first aquarium. They get to walk through on dry land. They get to see water on the sides of them and and animals and creatures in the water moving on the side of them. They literally walk through the first aquarium (laughs) because they believed because they believed they would see the deliverance and because they were still being pursued. Thank God the horse and the rider drowned in the sea because you don't get uh, the fruit of, of freedom by trying to enslave others. You don't get the fruit of being a child of God by being a child of the alternative. You don't you don't get to get get the uh, emancipation and 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 enter in and, and take back your decree to free them. You don't get to do that. By pursuing them, you set them up. You set not set them up, but you set yourself up, really. Because not only was Pharaoh drowned, but all of the ones that followed him were drowned too. The horses were drowned. The soldiers were drowned because they followed foolishness. And so we got to be really willing to uh, believe God enough to go forward and not go back. I mean, literally, no matter what is in front of you, do not let the the intimidation of what's in front of you think about or make you think about going back, make you resolve that it's better that you go back. Because when you get over and cross that water, we get to see what uh, Moses saw at the end of the the. Um, at the end of it, we get to see the Mount uh, Sinai moment. We get to see the Ten of Ten Commandments. We get to see the establishment of a generation that God delivered. Because at the end of the day, Moses being delivered multiple times led to a nation being delivered multiple times. And so what I mean by Moses being delivered was not only was he delivered from uh, the the decree of death, not only was he de- uh, delivered from Pharaoh's house, not only was he delivered from um, the 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 pursuit of the Egyptians, but he was delivered unto purpose. He was delivered unto his purpose to be a deliverer. It wasn't that he was he was trying to uh, 
He, he thought he was running from his past, but really he was running into his purpose. And I want us to, to really take hold of this note. That at the end of the day, there's a song that is played at the last uh, portion of the movie, right? You know, you hear the deliver us, but after that... Um, we hear, you know, the Whitney Houston version and the Mariah Carey version of When You Believe. But after that, they, there is a boys to men song uh, called I Will Get There. And I pointed out this song because it's, it's during the credits, but I needed you to hear um, the words of this. It, it says, I will get there. I will get there somehow. Cross that river. Nothing's stopping me now. I will get through the night and make it through to the other side. Get there. Get there. I think if we take our focus off of where we're leaving and put our focus on where we've got to get to, it would be so much easier for us to let God deliver us. Yet, yet most of the problem is not that there's no deliverers. It's that God himself has decided to choose us to deliver others, but we won't let him deliver us first. We won't let him uh, remove us from the comfortable place of Midian. He, we won't let him uh, remove us from the stain of being the prince of Egypt. We, we actually are cool with being the prince. We're actually cool with being the shepherd boy. But we don't want any parts of a burning bush. We, we, don't, we would rather not with the burning bush. But it is not until we're delivered from those things of the past, right? Delivered from that lifestyle that we thought was better. Delivered from those things that we wanted to work out for us and say, God, okay, I'm, I'm, I, what are you delivering me into? What are you delivering me to do? What are you calling me out to be called into? What, what do you need? It is not until we are, we literally ask him for deliverance until we let go. Okay, God, listen, I, I know I thought this lifestyle was better, but I receive your deliverance into deliverance. Yeah. I receive your deliverance into deliverance because it's not just about me. My life is not just about me. It's never just been about me, but it's about those who are also crying, deliver us. And I am made to be a deliverer to deliver them on behalf of you. I am made to be your hands and feet so that not only I experience deliverance, I'm not the only one that has to experience being delivered. I need to know that if you delivered me from many things, many toils and snares, as the scriptures, as the hymn says, right? If you've delivered me from all of these things, it's to be a deliverer because there are people crying deliver us. So let us be willing to be the deliverer that God has always announced that we would be. Thank you so much for joining me this week on this episode of Kid Like Faith. I had fun. I hope you did. And if you did, please make sure you tell a friend. Make sure you grab them and tell them to listen because this only works as if 
you know, really you pass the word along. So somebody else can get the nuggets that you got this week as well. Um, if you need to find us on Facebook and Instagram, you will find us at Kid Like Faith. That's F-A-T-H. Um, and if you need to uh, check in with us, it's going to be an amazing season, guys. I promise you, we're going to have fun. Um, if you want to check in with us, don't be afraid to send me a message at kidlikefaith at gmail.com. You can also send a DM, obviously, in Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you want to send me a note on my website, you can go to www.allthingsninatee.com. Next week is going to be a great week. And until then... Make sure you keep your faith kid-like. Bye! Before you go, make sure you go to www.allthingsninat.com so that you can not only get merch, you can not only learn about the podcast and a little bit about me, your girl, Nina T., If you wanted to uh, bring me to events, you can also do it on the website as well as you can pick up my very first book, Beauty for Ashes, The Great Exchange. I am super excited because it's available right now. Most of you, some of you have bought them. Um, I'm so super excited um, that you have been able to support and start your journeys as well as leave me a message about your exchanges, child. I want to hear about these journeys and how y'all doing and how it's going. Okay, so make sure you go to that website again. It is www.allthingsninat.com.